you know, like most hipsters, you know, I get labeled the stereotype of I look like I'm, you know, about to go do some logging or out to see and all I really do is just podcast and write and stuff like that. And we're yeah. in a creative agency. I'm so creative. Okay, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Good to be back here doing another slowdown podcast with you. Good to see you. Good to see you too, homie. Digging that hat. Hey, well, thank you. I um in the uh the winter, well, anything really under 50 degrees, I get out my um my fisherman beanies. Um, and I have a beard, as some of you know. So I get a lot of like, hey, when's your ship sail jokes. Mm. Uh, Navy jokes, those kinds of things. So, but a fisherman beanie is like definitely like a staple piece for me in the winter. You do have, you do look a lot like the like the dude on the Long John Silver box. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, so, absolutely. I'm not even gonna fight you. I can see that, man. It's good look though. It's good look for you. No, I appreciate it, but I definitely have a you know a Navy vibe, especially when I sm- have my pipe. If I'm smoking my pipe, it's like, oh, forget about it, dude. The jokes are just flying. And it's like kind of like an old school Navy or Russian Navy, right? Yeah. Something like that. Because I think people don't realize that if you're in the Navy in the U.S., you can't have a beard. So, <laughs> Yeah, so I guess it is that like, uh, yeah, so what would, would that be like a like uh, fisherman? Like a, well, it's more like a fisherman kind of a vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, a old, like old school fisherman for sure, man. But, you know, like – most hipsters, you know, I get labeled the stereotype of I look like I'm, you know, about to go do some logging or out to see and all I really do is just podcast and write and stuff like that. And we're yeah. in a creative agency. It's true. It's very true. I'm so creative. Okay, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no, thanks for complimenting my hat. And I wanted to compliment your canary yellow beats headphones that you have on today. oh thanks man and um i honestly thought that you went and bought them you had just a moment of just like oh you know what screw it i'm gonna get these yellow headphones and stand out i yeah. draw attention to myself but that's not the case at all a little splash of color yeah i've heard that phrase from my wife recently splash of color i don't really know what it means but i think it might apply to this conversation yeah that's what i thought you know you just got a little, little splash of color little splash of color no i uh i forgot my headphones man to record and so i found a way into a supply closet at this building that i podcast out of and in there i found these yellow um toddler (laughs) headphones so they're actually killing my ears right now because they don't fit around them they really just press into your earlobes well just be thankful you don't have like my size head yeah that's true very true You'd actually break them. We could, you know what? It's interesting in the history of this podcast. You have the you have the most interesting 
podcasting location stories of of anyone yeah yeah maybe man remember you were at the uh the lifeway building you snuck your way into there that was a great story you're in some random commercial space now you're raiding closets for headphones you find a nice you find some beats which are cool but they're yellow yeah yeah like little toddler yellow kind of old beats headphones probably some you know some kid left them behind i'll make sure i put them back you don't want little johnny coming back looking for these things and you know they're not here you don't want to be the reason some kid's crying on a Sunday. Oh, dude. Yeah. I've got a, I got a little one that's almost three. I get it when right they can't find things that they need. But as far as locations, we've definitely been able to hit a number of them. I think it's you know part of just recording things while you're on the go. But my favorite one was definitely that Lifeway building. Just watching people poke their head into an office on the third floor and looking at me like... Um, well, first of all, you got in illegally. Like you snuck through security. So there's that's the first thing. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't have taken a chance on that and, and, uh, to make, make that podcast happen. But I was worried about the wrath of Ryan, our producer setting aside time in his calendar to record, right? Russ five minutes ahead. It's, you know, time calling and saying, yeah, I'm not, not going to make it. I was, I was a little worried about that. So I stepped up, man, made it happen. Ryan, what do you got to say about that? I just really appreciate the effort that resulted in a a B and E to make this podcast happen. Yeah, buddy. We always want to make Ryan happy. He uh he keeps us he keeps us going. Yeah. I cannot in good conscience though endorse any actions that would lead to, you know, criminal activity on behalf of the podcast. Although in hindsight, since you did not get caught, I'm not upset about it. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it worked out. So the age old question, is it wrong if you don't get caught? Mm. According to Ryan and what he just said, it's okay. <laughs> if you don't get caught, you're fine. Basically. It didn't happen. Yeah. I didn't know Ryan, you were such a moral relif- relativist. <laughs> relativist? Relativist? Rel- this? Why do you say that word? <laughs> Rele- I didn't know you were so morally relevant, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> word is relative. Relative. <laughs> That's it. I didn't know, I didn't know you had that, that relativeness to you, Ryan. <laughs> I'm I'm very morally relevant. Yeah. So this would relativeness be, be like a phrase for you look alike? <laughs> relativeness. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Moral relativity. <laughs> there you go. That's a good word. Oh. Leave it to the copywriter to bring <laughs> some solid language into the conversation. Yes. Hello everyone. My name's Tony. I'm a published author and a copywriter. <laughs> And um, I just thought the word relative was relevant. So they haven't figured out how to get grammarly to work with live speech yet. Yeah. Most people just make their mistakes, you know, around one person, a couple, but some of us just wait till a microphone's in front of our mouth and, you know, we hit record. That's where it all happens, man. The thing is, you got to laugh about yourself. You just got to laugh. You can't take yourself too seriously. You got to laugh about yourself and poke fun at yourself self-deprecation is the best form of humor and today we're talking about a group of people that really struggle to do that they struggle to (laughs) they struggle (laughs) they struggle with taking themselves seriously and you know that i'm talking about you pastors we're talking about you today we're talking about pastors on the slowdown podcast now that's not to say that we don't love pastors right because we love pastors we used to be pastors right on staff at yep. churches and you know with salaries and positions and titles and roles and all that I did that for 10 years for us how, how long did you do that 
Uh, in a context like that, 14 years. 14 years. Yep. So we got a little bit of experience. And so yeah. we know that pastors struggle to take themselves seriously because I've been that guy. Yeah. Definitely been no. that guy. Yeah. I think uh, like anybody, right? You have moments of humility and you know the ability to laugh at yourself. Um, but of course, right? You have a lot of moments where it's hard. And yes. I would say, I would have to agree. Like, I know we're, we're joking about it, but maybe on the on the flip side, I would say, man, those 14 years in that role, I was definitely probably more guarded um, than any time before or since then. Hmm. Yeah. Because there's so much pressure, man, that's on you. Yeah. To get it right, keep it right, right? You've got you've to know what's coming ahead of the curb. You got to know how to take those curves. You got to be able to lead everybody through those curves. And depending on how well you perform, right? Yeah. Then, then people are going to either be on board with you or they're not. And just so much that goes on with that. Right. It's, it's you're, you're teaching everybody else to be honest and hopeful in Jesus while you yourself have to be guarded right. and worried. It's the opposite of the story. Yeah. But yeah, no, and, and I know we've talked about this before. I don't want to sound repetitive. And the, the conversation here today isn't about, you know, the, the, the culture of and, and the expectations of um, pastors and sometimes how that does, that leads to a lot of like hiding. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of like, you know, destruction and, and really just really sad things come out of people's stories. And yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, Pastors are expected to be, you know, the, the best, you know, they have the best relationship with God. They know the most about the Bible. They have the best marriages. They have the best finances and all that kind of the expectations. But it's, I think, yeah, the, the culture of the role, the expectations of the role and, and how everyone's viewing you and looking at you. It's kind of hard to just get up on a Sunday and say, listen, guys, totally blew my sermon prep this week. And honestly, like, I don't even want to sing these songs this morning. And I'm seriously <laughs> like questioning, like, should I even be doing this as a job? You can't get up there and say that, man. You, know, you got to no. get up and you got to be leading the charge. You got to be the most excited. You got to be yeah. the best worshiper, you know, in, in the place. So we, we understand. We understand what it's like to be a pastor. The expectations of donors and boards and and parishioners and networks and coaches and all those you know kind of things. And also the internal pressure that pastors put on themselves. Yeah, so we we get that. Yeah, and I think there is a shift. I think that we probably have experienced you, me, um, other people within the network that, and if you've been listening to right the, the Slowdown podcast. You know, a few episodes back, we really got a chance to dive into leadership from the scriptures. We've we found some joy in stepping into being leaders, pastors, elders, whatever you want to right title that within you know within a work of the church in the world and the people that are in and around us. And so it definitely takes on a different look, feel, right, meaning, um, expectations, etc. Then you find when you when you take on more of a formal, um, conventional church approach to the role and. I think maybe some of that, if I'm just thinking about my own story, I think a lot of that stuff, just like the pressures, the weight, the doubts, the worries, the frustrations, the fears, it stems from the, just the culture of the church at large sure. in, in terms of how people see it and what people think it should be doing and not doing and how it should be led or not led and where it should be, right? And what I should say, it should be moving towards. And it's almost like there's this whole like culture that's in and around that that makes it really hard, um, not just on an individual, but even makes it really hard in a, in a setting like today. And you know, if, if you're a pastor within some form of a conventional formal church listening to this, you know what I'm saying. 
makes it really hard in terms of just how to lead in, in light of what you're seeing around you. You've got this culture where most people, right, 70% have no interest in attending a church service or gathering or small group of any kind. Mm-hmm. So you can do the missional thing, the attractional thing, the liturgical thing, the, the micro church thing, right? Like the mega church thing, whatever you want to put in there. Yeah, it can grow and you can see some neat things happen, but statistically you're not tapping into that very large portion of the society around you that has no interest in any of those things. And so not only do you have like these internal pressures and then just the pressures that come with the culture and the system at large, but you've even got like this pressure and this fear that's mounting in regards to how do you even lead this thing towards a society that has no interest in it? Yeah. So it's almost like it just compounds the, uh, the stress level, I guess. Yeah, because I think, you know, um, if, we, if we could just back up and, and come up with like a basic profile for... Um, you know, for your average everyday pastor, let's call him pastor, pastor Brock. You know, our last conversation was Bob and Becky really just a picture of like everyday, Mm -hmm. you know, people, your average person sitting in, you know, a row of a church on a Sunday and, you know, who, you know, loves Jesus, loves the church and loves his neighbors. Um, Pastor Brock is, man, he's a good dude, you know? Um, And he's a good, good person, man. Went to, went to Bible college, went to seminary, right? Like just has a passion for uh, just connecting truth and grace um, to people, wants to just be involved in people's lives, really wants to see the the gospel spread and his yeah. broader region of where he lives. Honestly, like he's experienced the grace of God in Christ and he wants others, you know, to do the same. He's regularly flexing his schedule to meet people where they are. He's involved in counseling. He's involved in teaching the word. He is trying the best as he can in the middle of his busy schedule to connect with his neighbors and be over there talking to them and, you know, those kinds of of things. He's just like, he gives his life to the role and he puts up with all the stuff that comes along with it. People unhappy with the church, unhappy with him, you know, elder boards uh, trying to get things done within the context of a community of people knowing when to push, when not to push, when to back off, when to move forward, all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? But I think at the end of the day, his big why in the midst of all the, just the the good things and the frustrating things that come along with his role at the end of the day, he really truly does just want to see people know and just be in love with a Jesus who's rescued broken people and Mm. just walk in the simplicity of that. And then Rush, you were getting into some of the tensions that he feels because you said, no matter if we do micro or mega or missional or this and that, you know, it, it, those things don't connect with those outside and uninterested in the church because we can change our forms all we want. They're just not interested in those, those things. But I think that's where pastor rock finds himself. He finds himself right in the middle of that, that salad of all these approaches all these different kinds of, you know, just ideas and theologies and, and, and systems and, and things that are just crying out to him and reaching out to him. Every, every morning, he probably gets an email from a publisher that he loves of a new book that's out that's going to yeah. help with health or it's going to help with mission or it's going to help you be a better preacher or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Then he calls his buddy on like a, a Wednesday and he's got this thing that he's really dialing in at his church. And then pastor Brock's thinking like, dang, I really need to like do that thing. 
you know? And then he studies the scripture starting on Thursday, prepping for a sermon. And then it's like, well, man, no, this seems to be the thing that we need to like really get here. And then he goes to a conference on Saturday to Monday where he's hit with all these other ideas and these vendors in the hallway and everyone reaching out to him saying, this is the thing that you need to do. This is the thing you need to be Mm -hmm. about. If you want to have impact in the world, be healthy and be a fruitful kingdom um, church in the world. And the dude is just inundated in all those voices. And he has a tendency like most, like I know I did to just bounce from the thing, the thing, man, from conversation to conversation. I would, uh, I would concur. Um, I definitely spent a number of years uh, in that very place and could point to a number of friends that I had that were leading other church expressions that were wrestling with the exact same thing. And I think it's, I think it's difficult because I think the, what I found was so hard, man, is everybody's coming at you with all these, you know, tools, like you said, that's like this salad that's just filled with all these different ingredients that are just being thrown at you and you just keep throwing it in the bowl and trying to figure out like what's what. But there's something about the the idea of, of success and not missing out. I think that's those are like the phrases, you know what I mean, that always seem to create these knee-jerk reactions between all the things that you just mentioned. There's this picture of success that, you know, like all these people are coming and look, all these people just got baptized or look how much money just came in. And I look at that and say, hey, amen. It, but if you peel back you know, a layer of that or if you, you know, if you lift up the hood and take a look at what's going on, you're going, oh, so there's there's some cool things that are happening here, but in most cases, it's people that are going through a hard time in life. I mean, stuff's like hit the fan. And so because of that, they seem to be really open, you know, to Jesus and the things of Jesus. But when you, and so I think we, we ignore, we ignore what's actually happening is what I found. I was bouncing from thing to thing and being told like, you got to try this, you got to try this, you got to try this. And I'm looking at these like success metrics, you know what I mean? That are going on in it. Yeah. And it was hard because I never had the time to actually open, you know, as I said a minute ago, to just lift up the hood and go, yeah, but what's really happening there? Like who's, who's coming? What are they coming to? Right. Why are they coming? And as you start to press in on that, you're going, oh, so this is primarily right in relation to people that are, you know, something's happening in their life that's driving them them to this. You know what I mean? They're open to it in a sense. It's not growing from that 70% that's uninterested. It feels pretty good to go in life. And if things do hit the fan, the last thing they're looking for is a church service to go to. So it's not growing through that. But what I never could see in the midst of all the vendors, right, was that reality, that story. I never got to. And so I just kept getting bounced back and forth between all these different, you know what I mean, ways of doing things based off the success that I was being showed and, and this constant call to you don't want to miss out on this kingdom movement. And again, never had the time to actually stop and go oh, wait a second, I'm bouncing back and forth between all these things to achieve some type of success that I'm not even after. Hmm. Like my heart's like beating for all these people in our city that are just have no interest in, in church right now, hmm. but yet are open to a conversation about Jesus. And instead of like pursuing them, I'm spending all my time bouncing around, right? Looking for the magic bullet over here in this sea of stuff that's not even reaching the people that my heart's for. Mm. And it took me like years, man, to figure that out. Sadly. Yeah. So, so quick question for you. So right here is a fork in the road where most, cause we, we meet pastors who can go left or go right in the fork, go left is they say, okay, listen, I'm done playing the game and I'm just going to go pursue ministry among those outside and uninterested in the church. And I'm going to step away from my role as a full-time pastor. I did that. You did that. That's the route that, that we took, right? 
Right. Then you have to the right is, okay, I'm going to try to figure out a way to continue in this conventional Western normative thing. And I'm going to just try to figure out a way that we can like really culturally try to figure, you know, this thing, this thing out. And then we have some people who we know who are, who are doing that. They're taking steps doing that. And they're right in the middle of trying to tell, you know, that story. Yeah. Like, you know, Sarah, Paul, Drew, Dakota, right? Kind of go down the line. Yeah, people that are in, you know, conventional, conventional, right? Formalized, you know, church expressions that have that same heart that we had, but are not going left. They're, they're saying right on it. And I think that's okay, right? I think we're even seeing some pretty neat gospel movement happen in and among those people in those settings. Yeah, totally. But there's some specific things that I think they're doing different, that they're doing differently from what we have found. Mm-hmm. than the constant bouncing around, right? Between forms and the search for magic bullets. Right. So a few of those things, I mean, I'd say first and foremost, anybody that's really seeing a movement among those outside and uninterested within a conventional system has really just stepped into the role of being a missionary themselves. Yep. So they're actually, they're actually spending time. If they want to reach certain people, they're actually spending time where those people are. It seems like a, it does a revolutionary thought. But it seems yeah. to be it seems like to be like the most simple thing is the thing that we forget. I I came up in environments where we had a heart to reach those outside and uninterested in, in the church. But for us, we came at it from a missiology or a theological, you know, standpoint. And it was just the constant conversation. We never thought to ourselves, hey, let's actually just spend a season just going and being among people you know what i'm saying it was like yeah. it was always like this conversation happened just with you know me and my friends it never really actually came to fruition in the world yeah it's easy to forget that jesus was a friend of the people that were in and around him that he was yeah that he was loving on and bringing good news to right uh, i think we want to be either we're absent completely and in inviting them to a thing or we you know, we might dabble a little bit in being an acquaintance, but I don't think that suffices. I think if you're serious about this and you got to step into being a friend and what's cool is, uh, you know, when you step into that, you, you do provide in a sense, like an example for others. Yep. So the thing that I found in, in pastoral leadership in conventional churches is the culture of the church is never what you say. It's always what you do. Mm-hmm. Always. Cause, cause what you do, people will do. And then what you do together is your actual culture. By definition, what you do together is your culture. Mm -hmm. And so if the heart is to connect with those people and to see the people that are following you connect with those people, then you've got to go become friends, right? With the people that are in and around you. And you're going to, you're going to provide them an, an example and you'll probably see a cool culture out of that, come out of that. And like we always say, one of the perks that comes with that is you're going to get a you're going to get a lot of stories, right? A lot of stories of just practical discipleship among friends and neighbors. And that's going to stoke the imaginations of people and help them realize that, hey, this isn't that hard to go become a friend with the local right. bartender or yep. my barber or to throw all right, a party for the people that I'm meeting around town. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is going to happen. And so I think that's the first thing we definitely found was you got to be a missionary. And the second thing I found just to keep it practical and simple here, which you, you know, if you're listening to this, you're going to you're gonna find that some of these things are very practical yet very needed, in which case not only do you need to be a missionary, I think we found that you also need to be an equipper. Yep, definitely. And I think the, I think the first one leads to the second one. So as an equipper, so I kind of, I have the same mindset when I was doing, you know, full-time church ministry, but my equipping was only in, it was 
just information or it was command driven. So I can give people the concepts. I understood that God was a missionary God and ascending God, and I can put all the theology behind it. And I also could tell them that we're supposed to be doing this. So you have yeah. the theology underpinnings and you have a command, but here's, here's where the big disconnect was it for me is I had zero friends outside and uninterested in the church. Mm. Any long-term relationships. I, I wasn't, I wasn't actually spending time having conversations, realizing all the nuances and really what it really takes to just become a friend with someone and watch barriers get broken down and, and pushbacks and, and cynicism and, and distrust like begin to be worked through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And because of that, my equipping was, it, it was very lofty and it was very theological. And also it came across as very law-driven. So I can only hand off a theology and a command. I never was handing off any like cool stories or just something simple or just rooting it in that everyday simple practicality. Yeah. And I I think you're hitting the nail on the head, man. It's the conversation. I think for you as a leader and the conversation for everybody around you really starts to change when you step in. To, to living this thing that you're inviting everybody else into. All of a sudden, the, the, the community becomes a community of us following Jesus together in the city. And it looks a lot less like, you know, pastor so-and-so over here and then the rest of us right over here on the other side. And so I think what I, what I did, man, in, in our setting is I first grabbed on to just being a missionary. And then the second thing was, as I said, man, becoming an equipper, like really just going, okay, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry this is pretty New Testament. And naturally, when we say the works of the ministry, we're not referring to you know, people handing out bulletins or singing a worship band. Like Those things are good. Um, but the, like, the work of the ministry is in reference in the scriptures to the work of the making of disciples, teaching others to walk with Jesus. This is something that God has called every single believer into. And so you as a leader, if you have, if you have discovered that and stepped into that, amen, then helping other people also step into that is the primary task I think that you've been given. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, being that missionary, which again, lends to being able to be an equipper who is right, a practitioner. And then I think just, just to throw one more point in here, like what we've actually seen work really well is you got to send people out. Like you, you literally have to give them that invitation, right? To like, hey, go and live into this. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. And then you got to give them time to do it. You can't just say, hey, go live this. You have to actually pull back and look at the structure of the church itself and go, man, are we... Are we doing things in a way that it really allows people the time that they need to go build relationships or in and around them? Because people that are outside and uninterested are not going to give a listening ear to right. anyone that they don't know and trust. And trust takes time. Yep. And so friendship is the key, not a project, right. right? But a genuine friendship. No, I think that's well said. And I think those three things are, they're non-negotiable, right? Pastors, yeah. We got to get back to just being present in our cities and not just stuck in our offices. From there, you're equip, you're, as you give more opportunity for equipping in, in this uh, practice, that experience of doing this practically will serve you there because it's going to help you not just pass on ideas and theologies or commands and laws, but actually just like tell stories, right? About the invitation and the joy that comes from doing this. And then from there, I think you're going to start seeing a culture shift because let's just say it, like, as you said, churches do what their leaders do, right? There's a lot of culture change and effect that can come from what 
a leader values and does and what he celebrates and the stories he tells and all those yeah. things. So those are non-negotiables. And I think most networks and denominations and books and stuff are telling pastors to do that. I don't think we're saying anything different there whatsoever. Yeah. But once we peel all that back, what we found, right? What's that's what's needed, but what's really needed is some more core issues, right? Some some deeper things <laughs> like below that. And we have three things that we need to as leaders, as pastors in particular, Pastor Brock, die to the magic bullet, be okay with spontaneous growth and open the back door. And let's just break those down. Die to the magic bullet. Yeah. That's a hard one to grab hold of, man. You know, the pieces that you brought up earlier, right? Be a missionary, be an equipper, send people out to go live into the things of Jesus. I feel like those are challenging, but, but they're, easy, they're easy to grab onto. Die to the magic bullet, man. Like that's challenging, but it's hard to grab onto because it's just at war against everything that's in your nature. I think we're a religious people at our core. That's why you find right religion in all of its facets, you know, all over the world. It's it's not decreasing. If anything, it's increasing. There, there's we, we we love being able to to point to the, the the principles and the practices of what we are and are not doing and how it's moving the ball from here to there and how we're keeping the ball moving. And like when you factor all that in just your human nature and that being present. And then over here, you've got this God that's invited you into this life of faith, hope, and love that looks very opposite right, <laughs> to religion. Man, it, it just gets very trying there. The mm. magic bullet is this, it's this idea of if we do A, we'll get B. It's uh, No, I think, you know, by definition, magic bullets are direct and effortless solutions to difficult problems, yeah. right? And that is so, it's so appealing, especially in a high pressure context. Dude, if I can just, if I can just read this book and have all of our small groups read this book, done, it's fixed, on. right? Yep. If Found I can just book. bring in, Here it is. if I can just bring in <laughs> this speaker and yep. do this weekend training, you know, fixed, <laughs> right? If we could just implement this big event and do these mailers and like all this stuff, sweet magic bullet, little time. Yeah. And the whole idea of a magic bullet is it's like a, it's a mythical thing. The implication is that such a solution that's effortless and direct, it rarely exists, right? It's, it's like Bigfoot, but because of the pressure, I think we find ourselves bouncing from one thing to, you know, one thing to the next. And there's an appearance, there's an appearance of culture change just in the conversation of it. So I think that's a little bit sexy too, right? Just having the conversation or having things on the calendar. It looks like we're kind of like, you know what I'm saying? Doing this for, you know, culture change and we can easily get satisfied, um, you know, with that. But there's, yeah, the magic bullet thing is, is dude, it's thick, dude. It runs deep. I think we forget, you know, that, that Jesus is strong in our weakness, right? Not the strength of our ingenuity and resourcefulness. Right. And I think that because we forget that and we forget it so easily, the ministry can get really convoluted and it, and it does become a game of metrics complete with a lot of pressures and despair and frustrations. And I think Jesus has really set us free from that. Mm. He's, I think he's given everyone that's following you, if you're in some position of leadership, every single one of them has been invited to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right? If anything, you as a leader are just there to point them to him. Mm. And I think that we have to be reminded of that, that that's also true for ourselves. Hmm. There's no magic bullet in this. There's a life of faith, hope, and love in him. And there's today. Tomorrow's a myth. And I think we really are free to rest in that. And we're really free to just trust him and point people to him. And, uh, and just know like, man, I don't know what's going to come up next, next year. And yeah. that's okay. I don't need to know. Hmm. 
And yes, I know you're going to get a bunch of people around you that say, no, you need to know this. Our pastor is supposed to know this. And if he doesn't know this and he's not capable, then well, you know, maybe we need to find someone else. But I would just use that as an opportunity to teach them what God has actually declared about leadership and about life on this side of the cross. Yeah. You're not Moses. One who's better than Moses came. In him we dwell. The journey in the story looks different now than it did pre-cross. Let's, let's revel in that. Yeah. Let's rejoice in that, right? Let's run in that. So I think that's what we mean when we say, man, you just got to die to the magic bullet if you're serious about this. Because being an equipper, being a missionary, sending out people is good, it's needed, it's practical, amen. But if that magic bullet bug is still there, you're going to be looking for instantaneous fruit. You're going to be, you're going to, anything to hang your hat on, anything to satisfy your ambitious heart. You know what I'm saying? To say like, cool, we're doing it. We're on pace. And what we found is, you know, that the scriptures are actually true, that the spirit is like the wind, that it blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it and see its effects, but don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And if your eyeballs are so fixed on certain metrics around this and you have expectations, then you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to start to think that, okay, maybe this doesn't work onto the next magic bullet. Maybe this me being a missionary, maybe this decluttering our calendar, giving more attention or as equal attention to equipping as maybe preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, it's not, it's, not, it's not making it go. Everyone around me is frustrated. You got to ditch your timetables, man. Ditch your timetables and ditch the, ditch the idea or the expectation of what needs to happen in certain people. And you have to embrace the slow, long, journey of really changing a church culture. Yeah. So that's ditch the magic bullet. And I think, you know, in doing so, you know, it really leads to the second point that you brought up, which is just being okay with spontaneous growth. Like just just being being okay with that, right? Embracing that, welcoming that, celebrating that. There's so really quick, why would leaders not be okay with spontaneous growth? Like what's the what why does that freak them out? Yeah. Well, I think it just goes back to the points that we've already, you know, we were making under this, you know, the banner of the magic bullet, which is just the human nature condition. So the, the, if you look in the scriptures, like the same things that the first century audience are wrestling with, okay, in, the, in regards to the teachings of Jesus are the same things that we wrestle with today in the teachings of Jesus. And then long before, right, Christ walked the earth, same things there. Just human nature's love for control, man. It, yeah. It's always is going to choose some form of religion, okay, masked as a relationship with Jesus. Right. There's, it gives us something we can measure, map, and manage. It gives something, as you said, we can hang our hat on, and, and it gives us some form of uh, identity and security, right, depending on like, what we're actually seeing right now. All of that is present in people and leaders alike. It's a human nature condition. And so the fighting the good fight of faith is, is literally something you're going to have to do every single day hmm. to be okay with spontaneous growth because what you're ultimately in your flesh going to want is not spontaneous growth. You want no. controlled growth. You want growth right. that you can point to, that you can measure, okay, that you can, that you can manage. You want growth that you can celebrate that has somehow gets tied to you and the map that you made for everyone. Like that desire is going to be there, man. And it's not just for you. This is what's crazy. Sadly, that's, that's true, man. It's not just you that secretly wants that. 
I myself, right, saying this. It's also something, man, that just the human nature that's at work in every person that's sitting in the pew wants as well. There's, there's, a, there's a form of identity and security that they get from being a part of something that's deemed as success. Mm-hmm. Right? And so both leaders and members alike want to be able to signal to the world, look what we've done. Look what we've accomplished. Look what we're seeing happen. And that's at war with this idea of a spontaneous growth of the church. Right. And notice I use the word the church there. Yeah. Because when you start being a missionary and you start equipping people and you start sending them out, they're going to go out in the nooks and crannies of society. They're going to literally go out into the harvest and they're going to love on people and pass on good news. And they're going to see people become believers. They're going to baptize them in their swimming pools or in their bathtubs. Right? They're going to start discipling them. They're going to start grabbing onto their friends. And before long, you've got this pretty neat, organic, contextualized spread of the church to a city. And Jesus yes. can get really famous in that but you won't because when you get to the third, fourth generation of that type of movement, they don't even know pastor so-and-so's name. Yep. When they hear pastor Brock, they go, yeah, who's that? Yeah. You're, you're, you're cooking on something here for sure, man. And I think hitting, hitting an uncomfortable chord. So I think some pastors are, would be okay with that, but then they got everybody else around them. Like, well, who's there? who's their leadership and where do they fall in the org chart and who's over them and who's responsible for their spiritual maturity. And, and what about church membership and like all these things, right? If it's not you, maybe you might be a little bit more lax on that in terms of, you know, maybe pastor Brock's a little bit more chill on that, but these elder boards, dude, I've seen it. I've experienced it. Yeah. I've experienced people who want to go do something outside of, the norm and go really reach people and watch elder boards just vote it down. Like they can't get behind it because it doesn't check the boxes of their, you know, denomination. I've watched that success thing play out. I was a part of a church that went multi-site and every time we started a new site, the senior pastor added another church location underneath his title as to what he, who he was the senior pastor of. And it went from senior pastor of, this city, that city, this city, and that list kept growing. And as soon as we launched another campus, dude, there was another city that was attached to that title. And so we're not just talking about theory here. Oh, no. No, this is something that's practiced day in and day out, right? Coast to we, coast We beyond. feel this. for We've personally and felt it for people that we've been interacting with over the last five years. And seen it ourselves and roles that we led. And yeah, it's, it's true. So that said, I think the opportunity here, man, is that you're just going to have to disciple the guys that are around you or the ladies that are around you that you're leading with into what Jesus has actually done and declared so that they too can begin to believe in and then value, right? And move on to the place of empowering and celebrating what's actually going to be needed if you really do have a heart for a disciple-making movement to your city. Yeah. You're going to have to die to the magic bullet. You're going to have to be okay with spontaneous growth. And just remind them, it's Jesus's church, not ours. It, it really does come down to just being that simple. It's yep. Jesus's church. It's not ours. It's, he promised to protect it, to grow it, to bring it home, okay? Which really frees us up to just love people, disciple people, and turn them loose. In, in closing on this point, we're going to get to open the back door in just a second, but it reminds me of that Peter phrase, when the gospel starts to spread to Gentile cities, 
He goes, yes. he's like, oh, well, it appears that they have the same Holy Spirit as we do. <laughs> and I, always, I love that because when I look at the, the unfolding of the spread of the gospel in the New Testament, these dudes aren't rolling out a 20-year plan, man. Yeah. These dudes, are they're not, they're not executing some killer 20-year vision that they crafted in the upper room. They're literally responding to a risen son by his spirit, just setting all kinds of people free throughout the known world. Yep. And they're getting pulled into it. It's a completely reactionary thing to what Jesus is doing, not a thing they're accomplishing in their own human resourcefulness. Yeah, man. Yeah, you jump in with your sail and go right where the wind goes. I think that's what they did. I think that's what Jesus invited us to do. And yes, it is at war against our flesh. But again, we just have to teach and equip people, okay, to fight the good fight of faith in light of those, right, natural tendencies we have that move us away from the things of Jesus, not towards them. So I think that's the challenge in front of us, which all this sort of just leads to that final point, you know, that you mentioned a second ago, which is you're going to have to open the back door. If you're really serious about good news to a city, you got to open the back door. And I think we've made a case, right, so far just within who Jesus is and what he's done. And I think we've looked at what he's called us into and what we can step into as leaders and why we can die to the magic bullet and why we can be okay with spontaneous growth to me all points to why we can open the back door. Like I know in the ministry world that we've been told that, you know, success, you know, the, the, the leaders that are successful are the ones that have the largest churches, right. That they can point to, right. The guy with a thousand, right. Is only going to listen to the guy that's right, leading a church of 5,000. And that guy's only leading, listening to this lady over here. That's leading a church of 7,000, which, you know, they're only going to listen to this guy over here. That's leading a church of 15,000. And I'm looking at that and going, it just seems so opposite of what Jesus did. He raised up and released people. He didn't keep them. It's, and I know like we're, we've been taught like, no, you got to build a great assimilation process. You know, you welcome them to the Sunday thing, which leads to right some class, which leads to a small group, which leads to volunteering, which leads to giving. And, and the better you can, the better you execute the assimilation process to close the back door, the larger the church grows and therefore the more successful you are. And I think what we're saying is when you look in the scriptures, you see something opposite. And when we look at the leaders in conventional churches that are going after cities, we're seeing something different. Their aim is not to close the back door. They're not creating assimilation processes. They're creating equipping formation processes that help people move to the place that they're mature enough to go do what Jesus actually told them to do. Yeah. They're mature enough to leave here, go be the church where they are, go be a leader, right? Where they are in the everyday and raise up disciples that follow Jesus and help them go do the same. And here's the thing. If you're freaking out when you hear that and going, but man, I'm going to lose a job in a year if we do that. Probably not. <laughs> and here's why. Here's why. If you live in the U.S. or in a year, have got people with this Constantine, right, formulized, you know what I mean, Catholic version of church in mind. Like that's what they know. That's what they want. Those people are always going to be surfacing with issues in their lives that tell them that they should get back to this idea, right, of church. Those people are going to be going through things where they need to get back sure. to this idea of church. People are going to move to your cities from other cities that only know this idea, right, of church. They're constantly going to be coming in the front door. So just imagine what could happen if you had a formation process instead of an assimilation process that helped them mature, right, over the next year or two to the point that they could leave and go do this in your city. I mean, with one approach, you're going to get a popular church among a few people. With the other approach, you're going to get a movement of the church to an entire city, to an entire region. Right. 
and you don't have to lose your job in the process because like I was just saying, those people will keep coming in and giving and supporting. So it's almost like if you're at 500 right now, amen. My hope and prayer is that if you're serious about reaching your city, stay at 500 for the next 10 years and be able to point to, right, a few thousand expressions of the church in your city hmm. as a result. Dude, I love it. I get encouraged and excited thinking about it. If good news is chained to one stage at two hours or three hours or four hours, let's say you got four services, five services, if it's chained to one stage, in one building one day a week instead of leveraging all the people right that have no good news and can carry right the freedom and family of jesus into the places where they already are i mean dude it, it's it is it's not it's not hard math man it's it's pretty no, simple. it gets even more practical than that all the buildings in your town i promise you all the church buildings and all the rented facilities in your city could not house all the people that live there. Even better way to say it. It's just not going to happen. So here's the cool thing. If most people have no interest in all these forms of church, then go where they are. And everyday friendships and shared meals are a really neat way to do that. And it can't be go where they are and then get them to come back to this thing so that they can feel like they're a part or so that they can belong. You got to move the belonging to the people that are out in and among them and something cool happens there. So as I was saying, man, like, is this challenging? Yes. Is it needed? Yes. Well, you have to lose your religion to step into it. You bet. Yes. You actually will. But something really amazing could happen in and through it. And so if you're a pastor or you're stepping into some form of like pastoral leadership within a conventional, you know, structured church, just know, man, there's a neat opportunity in front of you to do something that's very needed, something that's very different and something that's very ancient, just to be clear. And we're here to help. Like our Reclaim course is designed to empower this very movement in and through, not just everyday people, but even like formalized churches. We're seeing it happen right now with people within the network. We have a number of Pastor Brocks who are doing it. And it's not a magic bullet. That's the best part. It's not a magic bullet. If it does anything, it just gets people back to a person, not a plan. Something cool happens in that. Yep. So hit us up. Hit us up. Right here, thetablenetwork.com, thetablenetwork.com. Pastor Brock, we get you, man. We get you. That we do. So until next time, grace and peace to you. 